Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. A man appears in court tonight charged in connection with the three deaths of siblings in Tala in Dublin. We have the very latest from the special late-night court hearing. Also tonight, in Liz We Trust. Britain's new Prime Minister is to be Liz Truss after she won the Tory leadership contest, but by less than expected. I will deliver on the energy crisis, dealing with people's energy bills, but also dealing with the long-term issues we have on energy supply. Of the big energy crunch facing customers this winter. What's ahead for those least able to pay the bills? Cost of living generally with food. It's just, it's just, you know, I can't cope really, being honest with you, in my head. Join the conversation online with your comments and your questions. It's hashtag tonight VMTV. A man in his 20s has appeared in court in Dublin tonight, charged with the murders of three young siblings in Tala at the weekend. Our news correspondent Zara King was at the special court hearing for us tonight. A 24-year-old man has appeared in court this evening, charged with the murder of his three siblings, 8-year-old Christy and Chelsea Cawley and 18-year-old Lisa Cash. Andy Cash, with an address at 25 Rossfield Avenue, made no comment when charged with all three murders this evening at Tala Gartha Station. Gartha Robert Whitty gave evidence of arrest, charge and caution at a special sitting of Dublin District Court here this evening. Andy Cash's solicitor has requested that his client receive a full psychological assessment. He's also requested that his client be placed into solitary confinement but Judge uh, Patricia McNamara said that was a decision for the prison governor. Uh, Andy Cash has been uh, granted free legal aid. There was no application for bail. He'll appear before Cloverhill District Court via video link this Friday at 10am. Zara King there reporting. Staff at the schools attended by the three siblings who died at the weekend have been remembering them as warm, generous students. Let's cross over live now to Tala and join Claire Brock, where a community is still in shock tonight. Claire. Well, Kira, I'm here tonight at St. Aidan's Community School where Lisa Cash was a student and the principal of the school, Kevin Shortall, joins me now, as does local Fianna Fáil TD, John Lahart. And to come to you first, Kevin, um, it's a school community that must be reeling from the deaths of three siblings. Lisa, as I mentioned, was a student at this school and her brother and sister, Christy and Chelsea, who attended the nearby primary school. Could you describe the reaction among students and staff um, who came through these doors today and how you've been helping them? Yes, Claire. Um, it's been a, a quiet 
somber, reverent day here. I suppose a day filled with huge sadness, but also huge concern for everyone. Uh, everybody who came in here was worried about someone else. Um, uh, so that, that characterised the day. Uh, 20 members of our staff here are from the local community. They went to this school, teachers, SNAs, um, uh, office staff, clerical staff and so on. And um, particularly for them, um, this is their community and this has happened in their community and they, they know the people involved. So it's been a, a really difficult day here in the school. But, but I, I have to say the converse side of that, it was a day in the school where you could see huge warmth and concern and a real sense of togetherness and solidarity in this really difficult time. And Kevin, Lisa completed her Leaving Certificate here in 2021. Uh, she was a student who was really very highly regarded among her fellow classmates and among staff members, teachers here. She was very well liked in the school and respected. She was all day yesterday. And today people were telling me all sorts of stories about the kind of person she was. Um, she was a hugely... Um, hugely popular, hugely um, well-regarded student here in the school, a beautiful young girl. Um, it had a, a lovely, quiet confidence about herself, no airs and graces, full of integrity, a great friend to other people, a great friend to other students. I heard a story today when they themselves were in trouble, was the first person to show concern, to be a shoulder to cry on. And she also was a diligent and uh, hard worker in very difficult times, actually. She completed her leaving cert in the middle of COVID, probably did most of fifth year in COVID as well. And uh, she but just quietly went through it all and worked hard and came out, thankfully, with a, a really good leaving cert. And um, she, but she was so well thought of among all the staff and her peers here. And Kevin, uh, she gave you a hint at plans that she had for her future, didn't she? She came to us before the summer looking for a reference and we, we didn't know what it was for but she had some she had a good plan to do something this year because of covid um she she uh, people all took a little bit of time out you know and um but she 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 plans for for this uh, coming autumn she wanted to do something and uh, un unfortunately she she won't do that now but and John Hart, come to you as a local TD in the area. There was a vigil this evening, and there were balloons, there were prayers, and, and there was there was song and candles lit in memory of the three siblings. Uh, tell us how, how deep the shock runs throughout this community, because it's a very tight knit community in Rossfield here. Okay, Kevin has articulated it very well. I think. From the moment the Gardaí issued their press statement yesterday morning, which was a very unusual press statement in, in my experience, where they talked about the Gardaí having been met with a challenging, uh, traumatic and violent event, I think that mm -hmm. set the tone for people's reaction. Um, we've seen that you know, organisations like the church, the doors are open, the schools very much, the, the, the doors are open. I two senator colleagues texted me this evening, actually, Claire, uh, having watched Kevin and listened to him today, saying every school should have a principal like Kevin Shortall. And Tala has a way, one of the things I've learned about it in the last six years as a TD, uh, in times of trouble, for just being able to wrap itself round in a loving embrace of, of people who are in need and at times of distress. And I think you'll see 
uh, the best of that now. Um, he used to be a psychotherapist. Numbness is a perfectly natural and necessary reaction to trauma. So you will have the, the events and the actions that took place, for example, in the school here today. That's kind of the immediate reaction. But there will necessarily be a medium-term and long-term reaction. Trauma takes a long time to manifest itself, and uh, there will need to be a reaction to that as well. Yeah, and the coming days are going to be very, very <clears throat> difficult in trying for this entire community. Books of condolence have opened, and um, the community will really be rallying around each other to, to, to offer support um, family by family in as much as they can, John. Yeah, and I think, look, there are good agencies set up. Kevin would have had experience of NEPS today and a children and young people's organisation which is established really to coordinate the efforts of, of TUSLA, uh, involving groups like Feroiga, Barnardo's, the HSE, South Dublin County Council yesterday, for example, just a small act of, of opening Brookfield Community Centre for the day on a Sunday uh, was kind of significant and symbolic. Um, the Gardaí are part of that as well. And I spoke twice today to my colleague, uh, Minister Mary Butler, and there would be other departments involved as well. And any additional resources, you know, there, there are organisations here like Village Counselling and Tala, talked about Bernardo's, Feroiga, they have the skills, don't need any other people, but they will need resources to support them over the coming days, the coming weeks and the coming months. And let's hope the community uh, receives all the support um, that it can. Uh, but for now, we're going to leave it here, Kira. My thanks to Kevin and to John, who joined me at St. Aidan's Community School, where we've been remembering Lisa and Chelsea and Christy. Thank you, Claire. Uh, Claire and Tala there for us this evening. Our thoughts are with them all. Coming up next, Liz Truss is to be the new British Prime Minister. But what does it mean for us? Stay with us. Liz Truss will become the next British Prime Minister tomorrow after being confirmed as the new leader of the Conservative Party. She'd been the firm favourite to win the vote over the former Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, but the final margin of 57 to 43% was narrower than predicted. I will deliver on the energy crisis, dealing with people's energy bills, but also dealing with the long-term issues we have on energy supply. Because, my friends, I know that we will deliver, we will deliver, we will deliver. Well, since Liz Truss has been Foreign Secretary, it's fair to say the Anglo-Irish relationship has been fraught with tensions ratcheted up due to the Northern Ireland Protocol. But today, the Taoiseach congratulated the Prime Minister-in-waiting and urged a diplomatic reset. I see this as an opportunity uh, to reset uh, relationships between uh, Great Britain and Ireland uh, post-Brexit uh, and also between the European Union and the United Kingdom. And at the weekend I had some talks with uh, outgoing ministers of the, uh, the UK government and suffice to say I think there was a general view that we should all do everything we possibly can over the coming weeks to break the deadlock on the protocol. Well let's cross live to London and join news correspondent Ollie Barrett. Ollie, good evening to you. We did say there that the margin was narrower than uh, anticipated. So I'm wondering what her reputation is like within 
the Conservative Party? What is her character or does it depend who you ask? It certainly depends who you ask. Many people who've worked with Liz Truss will tell you she gets things done. She's an incredibly hard worker. She can be inspiring to work for. Uh, other critics of hers within the Conservative Party will say she can be uh, difficult to understand sometimes in terms of direction. They'll talk about sometimes her public speaking being wooden and not particularly charismatic. There are clips uh, all, all over the internet of bits of speeches that haven't particularly come off well, uh, applause lines that haven't landed well uh, over the years. But she is an incredibly uh, successful political operator in the sense that she often uh, switches her view from one to the other. She was famously a Remainer, then uh, has come round to the idea of Brexit. But she always seems to uh, rise to the top. And so many will say that her political trajectory has always been on the up and that she is a uh, someone that should not be underestimated at all. But it's a divided Conservative Party. As you say, the margin of victory was lower than expected over Rishi Sunak among the members. Remember that Rishi Sunak was ahead of her among the Conservative MPs when it was them doing the voting. So she really is at the head of what is, uh, from those results, you can tell, a divided party. Yeah, and we do hear time and time again, don't we, the comparisons with Margaret Thatcher. I mean, I don't think she particularly likes those herself. She said it's just because, you know, they're, they're two women, uh, female leaders of the Conservative Party. But is that fair? Is she uh, ideologically aligned with somebody like Margaret Thatcher? Those photographs don't happen by accident where she's uh, looking very, very similar to Margaret Thatcher in an outfit or a situation or uh, riding an armoured vehicle. Those, those things don't happen by chance. And yes, when Liz Truss is asked about those comparisons, she always says she's her own person. She doesn't want to be thought of as uh, another Margaret Thatcher. But we know that she uh, very much looks up to Margaret Thatcher. And that's part of the reason that some Conservative Party members like her so much. They hope that she will bring in a bit more of that Thatcherite economics than Boris Johnson has been um, uh, having uh, as his economic policy while he's been Prime Minister. Uh, and so those comparisons, I think, will uh, absolutely continue, but she will also want to plough her own furrow and make her own mark. And given some of the difficulties she faces when coming into office, I mean, that's a, a two-sided coin. It makes life potentially very, very tricky for her as Prime Minister, but at the same time, she she does have that opportunity to grapple with a, a crisis or two and try and show to the British people that she's got what it takes to be their leader. You say a crisis or two. I saw a, a senior Conservative tweet at the weekend that she has everything on her entry except Armageddon. Some would say it's perhaps not too far off. I mean, she will be under pressure from the get-go, won't she? Absolutely right. And uh, the Conservatives have been criticised for this long, drawn-out leadership process over a summer in which households and businesses have just been getting increasingly worried about particularly their energy bills as they head into the winter. And that means she's got to get moving and she's got to get moving quickly. She's promising some kind of energy plan uh, in the next few days. We think it could happen as early as Thursday. There are reports tonight that it could be an energy price freeze effectively. But however she does that, it's going to cost tens and tens of billions of pounds. She'll have to raise that money from somewhere. She'll have to set out where she can raise that money as well. And that's just an example uh, of one of those issues, which is 
potentially offers her the chance to show the British people that she can get on top of a difficulty, on top of a problem. But also, if she rolls out her energy plan and it doesn't land well, that will be very difficult for her in terms of public perception, but also among those Conservative MPs, many of whom are not convinced about Liz Truss as she arrives in Downing Street. Yeah, and she gave very little away in her speech today. It was certainly very scant on detail, but she did thank my friend... Boris Johnson, he got a mention and she sort of listed off some of his successes, the vaccine rollout, Brexit, although we'll discuss that in more detail in a moment, uh, and Ukraine. How was that particular comment received? Well, in the, the particular room in which she delivered it, it went down pretty well, and, and that has reflected the leadership campaign so far. Many Conservative Party members are actually pretty angry at the idea that Boris Johnson has been got rid of, and many of them didn't like Rishi Sunak because they resented the role that he had played in the defenestration of Boris Johnson. Liz Truss knows that, and she's played up to that during the campaign. She's always made it clear that she was not one of those who led the coup, who resigned from their job to try and get rid of Boris Johnson. Uh, and so she said that again in front of Conservatives today. Uh, all eyes are on Boris Johnson now, though, because we know that he wanted Liz Truss to win this race over Rishi Sunak, even if he didn't say so publicly. But what kind of backbench MP is he going to be for Liz Truss? Is he going to make interventions in the media? Is he going to have a new newspaper column again, which is going to pick up huge amounts of attention? Uh, depending on the way that Boris Johnson behaves and acts in the coming months could have a real impact on the premiership of Liz Truss. All right, we'll leave it there. Ollie Barrett, thank you for that. I'm going to go to uh, my panel now. I'm joined in studio by Fine Gael TD, Fergus O'Dowd, Sinn Féin TD, Claire Curran, political correspondent Daniel Murray from The Business Post and Professor of Politics, Danica Obeachan from DCU. You're all very welcome to the programme. Daniel, I'm going to start with you because I did see Boris Johnson today describe somewhere as this malevolent shadow uh, in the background, who's going to be watching Liz Truss's every move and perhaps, if the Sunday Mirror is to be believed it yesterday, waiting for her to, you know, slip up and go back right in there. Certainly there's already talk of conspiracy of Johnson making a return by Christmas and that certain Conservative MPs are, are conspiring to make that happen. Whether or not that comes to pass, I think it's probably fairly unlikely at this stage. But you wouldn't put it past Boris to have those kind of ambitions. Uh, he certainly had them in the past and achieved them. Uh, maybe he could have them again. She wasn't the type of person that I think that you would have expected to become Conservative uh, leader. She was an anti-monarchist, wasn't she? She's a former Lib Dem. So is her, is her position now as Conservative leader surprising? I mean, as you can see from the tightness of the race today was kind of more, that tightness was more surprising than what a lot of people expected. Certainly she's, she has a kind of a trademark of ideological conversions from a Liberal Democrat uh, to a Conservative, very much in the Thatcherite tradition uh, from being a Remainer and I think advising that Brexit was a leap into the dark uh, to then being a chief Brexiteer now looking to finally deliver Brexit. So uh, she's no stranger to those kind of ideological conversions and uh, it served her well to date. I think the Irish government are hoping that she might have another conversion version again and, and step back from the kind of fundamentalist approach she's taken to the likes of the protocol. Uh, and Fergus, uh, the Taoiseach did say today, you know, this is an opportunity to reset uh, relations, hoping that we have that sort of shift in position um, that she has taken in the past. Are you optimistic? Well, I am optimistic. We met Conor Burns, the Minister for State in Northern Ireland. Last week he came to our committee on 
the implementation of Good Friday in the Oireachtas, attended by parliamentarians north and south. I was in Oxford with the Taoiseach and with Conor Burns and the European Commissioner at the weekend. Over 100 people were there talking about all these issues. And she's entitled to a fair wind. And obviously, we want to work with her. Relationships were never as bad between Britain and Ireland, never as bad. And Conor Byrne came to Dublin especially to say, that he wanted to reset the relationships. Now, whether he's a job tomorrow or not, I don't know. So, but that's what so, we so want to do. Is, yes. is that where the optimism <clears throat> is coming well, from? I mean, because I suppose it's, yeah. it's, it's very difficult to see where um, you could feel that Liz, Tra uh, Liz Truss rather, is going to change direction. It's a because fresh there hasn't start. been any indicator, it's, it's, has there? It's a new start. I mean, either you start on the right foot and restore our excellent relationships. The Good Friday Agreement happened because of the very warm, close personal relationship between the British Prime Minister and Prime Ministers and the Irish Taoiseach. So that's what we want. That's good for Britain, it's good for us and it's good for the North. But is that and, it really? Well, it's the hope <clears throat> of a new beginning rather than anything really concrete? Well, we're working very hard on it. I would say there's lots of contacts at official level and unofficial level. I mean, with the problems because of the, you know, the, the issue with the war, the Russian invasion of, 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 you know, of the Ukraine and all of those things. A new prime minister in Britain would want to concentrate on the big, big issues in terms of war, in terms of energy. And like the, the protocol issue is a technical problem that can be resolved technically, but it does underline the importance of the Good Friday Agreement. It is protected by the protocol. And that's why we're so strong on it. And that's why we cannot move from that. But we are prepared, and the Europe is prepared, to discuss changes, certainly. But there must be goodwill. And the goodwill is what we're offering now. Is Sinn Féin as hopeful? Well, I think, <clears throat> I think we have to be hopeful. I mean, I wouldn't dare predict what will happen next, uh, and even now with a new Prime Minister. But I think we have to be positive. I hope, and I would expect, that an immediate priority for Liz Trust will be doing her bit and playing her part in relation to the restoration of the executive in the north of Ireland. It's it's four months now since the election. It, it is not, and it should not be allowed to continue with things the way they are in the north of Ireland. Uh, they experience a cost of living crisis as we do in the south of this island, and we need to see the executive formed. Liz Trust has a part to play in that, and I hope she will play it. And I really do hope we will see a step change in relation to uh, Westminster, uh, particularly as it comes to the north. And, and in relation to the protocol, issues are there. Those issues can be met. We need to get round the table, and they need to be sorted out. But they won't be sorted out with threats and reckless threats in relation to international agreements and laws. Uh, Donica, I'm, I'm conscious I'm saying the word hope. Now, in almost in every sentence, but we don't have anything getting more concrete um, to hold on to at this stage. But given, I suppose, what's on her entry, given the cost of living crisis, the energy crisis, the forecast of a deep recession, the pound plummeting, is there hope that she will not want to start a trade war with the EU at this time? There is hope, certainly. Um, but, you know, expectations are really low. Uh, you have to appreciate that this is the fourth prime minister now that Britain has had in six years. And I mean, Nicola Sturgeon, I, I think, was tongue in cheek when she congratulated Liz Truss, saying that she would try and have a cooperative relationship with her as she has tried to have with the previous three prime ministers. In other words, I'm still standing and there's, you know, four prime ministers have come and gone. There was a YouGov poll conducted in, in Britain last week and it showed that 12% thought that she would be a good or great prime minister. 12 uh, actually, only 2% thought she would be great. So actually, one of her big challenges now is trying to convince the British public. Oh, absolutely. A change and, opinion there. I mean... 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. You know, two months was spent during all these calamitous events, the, the war in Ukraine, the, the, the rising energy crisis, to appeal to a tiny selectorate. Uh, the amount of people who voted for her, 80,000, constitutes 0.1% of the British electorate. Uh, so they had been persuaded, not by an overwhelming majority, but the majority of a parliamentary party. She wasn't the first choice. And I think the consensus is borne out by opinion polls that uh, Sunak would have been much more popular with the British electorate. She knows that she has an election coming in two years. So she's looking forward to that now. She's more or less ruled that out in her speech today by saying that she's looking forward to a victory in 2024. There were some Because people... there were rumours at one point that there might be a snap election. There were, but I think, I think she will look one. at the experience of Theresa May and, and say that, that that kind of idea of enhancing your personal mandate by going to the electorate backfires and backfires badly. She has a majority, a parliamentary majority, but she is reliant on Brexiteer fundamentalists like the ERG, and that's going to make her manoeuvrability, her wriggle room, very limited. Yeah, well, uh, speaking of that, let's talk to journalist Amanda Ferguson in Belfast. Amanda, I was conscious today when I heard Ella's trust speak, and she said, Boris, you got Brexit done, as if there's a full stop after it. Uh, Would people in Northern Ireland agree? Well, I think that uh, when that sentence was uttered, that there were a few raised eyebrows um, on, on on this side of, of the Irish Sea. I think that uh, we know that the, the the new prime minister is going to have the, this big sort of full entry that we've heard of. That uh, there's so many issues to resolve, but the unionist parties certainly want a resolution to the protocol issues, whereas the non-unionist parties um, seem to be focused on the restoration uh, of Stormont. I think that what we're hearing from the panel maybe is a little 
bit of hope over experience, but that could just be because I'm a cynical journalist. But we're we're currently waiting to hear who the eighth uh, Conservative Party um, Secretary of State for Northern Ireland uh, since 2010 will be. It's unlikely that Shailash Farah will stay in the job and the reports would indicate that um, it's not a job that's particularly coveted, that uh, it's been offered to a few different people and they've turned it down so far. I think that the it's only person chalice. actually... Is it Amanda? I think the only person that really seems to want it is Connor Burns, who's Belfast born. He's the Minister of State within the NIO at the moment, but it's not clear whether or not um, he'll he'll receive that. Um, I think we're going to have to to wait to see who um, is offered up, who wants the job, and how seriously Liz Truss is going to rank Northern Ireland or the North um, in her list of priorities, because she's going in, as you said, to this uh, cost of uh, living crisis and the energy issue. And then also the, the muddling factor on top of that is the fact that the North is in a different energy market uh, to the rest of the UK. So what will apply there won't necessarily apply here. And what was interesting too was there was no real mention, was there today? In fact, there was no mention at all in her speech about the protocol and how she was going to address that. I wonder what impact that had on the DUP, who I'm sure at one point would have thought if we could get Liz Truss into the PM's chair, things would look up for us. Well, she was the preferred candidate among unionists, but I think that that we got Brexit done, or Boris got Brexit done line will have concerned them a little bit. Uh, the DUP leader, Sir Geoffrey Donaldson and Sinn Féin leader in the North, uh, Michelle O'Neill, have both written to Liz Truss uh, requesting a meeting. Geoffrey Donaldson focused on the challenges of the protocol and resolving those where, um, as Michelle O'Neill uh, focused on restoring uh, government. So I don't think that the change of leadership is going to mean that miraculously that Stormont's going to be restored any time soon and we are fast approaching that October, uh, end of October deadline uh, where the caretaker government that we have at present that can't even fulfil the full functions of government um, is, is no longer going to operate and power is going to have to pass to the civil servants and again they are only going to have limited functions so um, I'm not particularly optimistic but it could be because I've been uh, around this sort of Groundhog Day uh, procedure of, of Stormont being collapsed and up and down and impasses uh, lasting on and on uh, but certainly you can sense that the EU, that the Irish government, um, that the, the parties that are uh, concerned about the North and the protocol are really trying to reset relationships. And as I said, it does sound a little bit like hope over experience, but we'll have to see what happens. Well, you have plenty of experience, uh, Fergus and you have a bit of hope this evening. Absolutely. What do you think is going to happen <clears throat> the protocol bill now? Because Liz Trust championed it, didn't well, it she? Well, it, it goes to, to, to the House of Lords and the issues there are what they're telling us is that they're going to amend it and they're going to, you know, they're going to try and soften some of the blows that are in it. But I think the view that was strongly expressed by Shevskovich was that he's not looking for victory in this. He wants a settlement. The Irish government want a settlement. They want to solve the protocol issue, but they want to keep the Good Friday Agreement intact. So what and, do you and, think and she's going to do then, really Daniel, with this? Um, I think the big question, like a turning point in her leadership campaign was the support of the European Research Group and that hardline Brexit wing of the Tory party. And the question is, how many political checks has she written to, 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 to this faction of the party? And is she going to cash them? And, that and how many of those are going to end up in her cabinet and sitting around the cabinet table with her? Well, exactly. Uh, and that, you know, based when Liz Truss took over the Brexit brief, which was at the end of last year from, from David, 
David Frost. There was some question over whether or not she was going to take a soft approach or a hardline approach. I think she proved in the meantime that she was go- she's taking a very hardline approach to this. Now, it was a different time because she was already in campaigning mode for the leadership. Exactly how she governs, we have yet to see. But as she said today in her speech, she campaigned as a Conservative and she said she's going to govern as a Conservative. At Boris Johnson was a bit of a hero figure in the end, wasn't he, in Ukraine? At least that's how he certainly presented himself. What will she be seen as there, Danica? In Ukraine? Mm. Oh, her her election was welcomed and it wasn't welcomed in Moscow. So certainly there's a perception uh, that she will kind of continue this uh, muscular support, uh, you know, from the United Kingdom government for, for Ukraine. Though I think... I certainly was surprised, therefore, if their support for Ukraine was so strong, why they started this protocol um, issue with the, with the EU. Because, of course, the whole emphasis of the European Union and, indeed, the United Kingdom has been to support Ukraine and to maintain a united front against Russia supporting Ukraine. So this was only opening up a wedge, an unnecessary wedge, between the EU and the United Kingdom and certainly brought into question. I mean, they're basing, of course, support in Ukraine. Uh, you know, when they support Liz Truss, they're basing it on the amount of weapons they're receiving, little more. They wouldn't be knowledgeable about the internal dynamics of domestic politics in Britain. Uh, very quickly, Daniel, there was you know, some talk of this snap election. We, I think, all agree that she uh, she wouldn't do it. How does she fare now against Keir Starmer in the polls? Uh, I think at the moment it was Rishi Sunak who is seen as certainly more popular uh, amongst the people. So it, we have to wait and see how that will all play out in the next while. Um, certainly Boris Johnson was a kind of an electoral force to be reckoned with on, on that front. I don't know if she'll live up to the same same kind of standards. And finally, Claire, we are hearing uh, it's on the papers tomorrow that the first thing she's going to do is, is freeze you know, all energy uh, prices. Again, no mention of the protocol. Did that disappoint you today? Uh, Yeah, I think it is concerning. I mean, the North hasn't been the top of the agenda, I don't believe, for for any Prime Minister. And and certainly the interests of the people of the North, I don't believe, are ever served in London. So it is of concern. You know, the protocol has been this big, big issue since Brexit. It's hard to believe we're still talking about it since 2016. It's not resolved. There are issues there, but they will only be resolved around the table. And that's a table that Liz Trust needs to make it her priority to get around and get this sorted once and for all. All right. Well, my thanks to uh, Danica and Amanda. The rest of my panel is staying with me next. The big energy crunch coming our way this winter. Stay with us. Well, the price rise frenzy in energy and grocery bills has been causing havoc for household budgets. And this is most acute for those on fixed incomes. Our Southern correspondent Paul Byrne has been speaking to one pensioner who doesn't know how she'll be able to cope as her bills mount over the months ahead. Here's Evelyn Wainwright's story. Cost of living generally with food, it's just... It's just, you know, I can't cope really, being honest with you, in my head. Like even house insurance, that's a nightmare to me. Um, there's other things that I just find, before I even think about electricity and gas, there's about 17 different things in my life that has to be paid on a monthly basis. And where's that money going to come from now? Should they never be in the situation that I'm in? Never. Because of the salaries they're on, never mind when they retire what they're getting. There's no way, Paul, they could ever understand how it is to live today. They couldn't. It's a heartbreak because, like, I grew up in a very, very um, tight community with my where I grew up and we were very poor. 
Um, if we got a sausage in the week, it was a luxury. And I thought I'd never be going back to that. And I can see myself going back to that again because I can't afford it. And literally, I can't afford, like, what's going to go. Evelyn Wynne right there, a pensioner, speaking to our Southern correspondent earlier today. Well, still with me here in studio are Fine Gael TD, Fergus O'Dowd, Sinn Féin TD, Claire Curran, political correspondent Daniel Murray from the Business Post, and I'm also joined now by Dara Cassidy from Bonkers.ie. Dara, you're very welcome to the programme. Uh, Daniel, I'm just conscious of the, of the pressure that people like Evelyn are under. You can hear her there in her voice and yet today we see the markets react again after Russia's decision on Friday to close that gas line definitely, indefinitely rather. Yeah and soundings from Russia today that it won't be reopened for political reasons which is really quite quite a new development, something that everybody presumed and the gas markets jumped I think 30% as a result of that. Now you don't see that immediately on people's bills but that will start to filter through from kind of October, November, December into the winter. Those are going to be the really difficult months so there is serious concerns about the scale of price increases that could be facing us here in the UK and across Europe this winter. Yeah, and Dara, speaking of those price increases and the fluctuations you see in, in the market, does that closure on Friday increase the likelihood that there will be further significant price hikes to come? Yeah, absolutely. Even before the closure, it was almost a guarantee that prices were going to continue to increase. To put things into perspective, the price of gas is up on wholesale markets by around 1,000% over the past 18 months or so. But we've only, if you can use that word, seen price increases to consumers of around maybe 100 to 120%. So that just goes to show you the scale of what we could be looking at. It's also a good idea to look at the UK. So the UK has a price cap, so they forecast in advance what they think the price cap is going to be. We import a huge amount of our gas via the UK and then it has to cross the pipeline. So it usually um, ends up costing a little bit more in Ireland. Um, so usually the price of gas and electricity tracks Ireland quite closely. They're quite similar. They're forecasting the price cap in the UK to hit over €6,000 or the equivalent of over €6,000 in January. Ours at the moment is around €4,000. That's the average gas and electricity bill. So that would mean prices could go up by another 50% or another 2,000 euro. In the next four months. Yeah. And Fergus, that closure on Friday, does it also increase the likelihood of real supply issues this winter? Um, of course it does. And I mean, uh, the pensioner that spoke there, I agree absolutely what she's saying. It's in my office every day and phone calls to stress and the worries for ordinary people, particularly people, pensioners who need more heat because as they get older, they need more energy from heat. Uh, poorer families, people with disabilities, people who are sick. And the government is very much aware of that. And that's why this budget that's coming in three weeks must deal with all of these issues and must effectively use the resources of the state as we did under the pandemic to make sure people were able to live and were able to, to survive. And I have every confidence we and dealt with the pandemic. And I'm going to come back to the budget in, in a few minutes, just to look at the supply sure. issues. Uh, Claire, does Sinn Féin think there's going to be blackouts this winter? Well, look, I suppose there's no guarantees for, for us. I suppose we won't be under the same pressure that many other EU countries will be under and they'll definitely be under significant pressure this winter. I think for us, it will mainly be prices rather than supply. Uh, blackouts are a possibility, unfortunately, but I really think it will be prices and prices are going to continue to rise. We saw four providers just last week all increase again. We've seen over 50 increases 
by energy providers in the last 18 months. So I think the priority now has to be supporting those households that are struggling and will continue to struggle because by the looks of it, it is only going to get worse. Yeah, and Dara, I did notice um, yesterday this Vincent de Paul putting out a statement mm -hmm. talking about the real concern they have for those on prepay uh, meters um, that they may find themselves having to self-disconnect well, uh, their meter. In other words, they just won't have enough money to put in their meter yes. to buy themselves electricity. Yeah, I mean, there's pros and cons with prepaid gas and electricity. Um, I'm not calling for it to be banned. I believe in more consumer choice. I wouldn't use it myself as it tends to cost more money, but I can see why some people use it. But the problem is, of course- Because you don't end up with a bill, I suppose, at the end You, you, of the you don't, months. but then if you don't have the money to top it up, your electricity or your gas almost completely stops. And at the moment, there is a disconnection moratorium until the 28th of February. So technically, people who just pay by normal direct can use as much energy as they want, they can heat their homes as much as they want, and they don't need to worry in some ways about having to pay every single month. Uh, Whereas somebody who is topping up their meter, unless they have that tenner or that 20 euro, could actually find themselves with the light shut off. So it's just. It, How many customers worry. do we reckon are on prepay meters in this country? Well, one of the biggest suppliers um, is Prepay Power. So they have around 170,000 electricity customers and I think maybe 40,000 gas customers. And, and they, they hiked their prices Ireland last week, didn't more. they? They did. Believe it or not, if you look at just their standard rates, they're actually among the cheaper suppliers at the moment, which is very, very unusual. The problem, though, is that that probably won't remain the same. And when you're on Prepay, you also pay a prepay daily standing charge as well as your normal daily standing charge. So you're kind of paying on the double. But just quickly, so the average gas and electricity bill, like I said, is around €4,000. Euro. That's the same if you're on prepay at the moment. But if you were to switch to a bill pay deal on a site, like a switching site like ours, and got a new customer discount, you could save maybe around €1,500. So your average bill would actually be, only if you could use that word, €2,500 as opposed to €4,000 discounts still out there? Because I did hear anecdotally today about a person who rang their energy provider and said, we're going to quit. Mm -hmm. And immediately over the phone there and then we're given a 25% discount. No, the, the discounts are absolutely still out there and it absolutely still pays to switch. I can't overemphasize that enough to viewers. The problem, of and course... This person didn't switch now. They just actually rang their energy well, provider that, and said, I'm going to yes, if you that, don't do something for that me. That can be done as well. And that's the same with all builds, with your, with your broadband, with your TV, with your car insurance, yeah. just threaten to switch. I do find though sometimes Irish people aren't great at negotiating discounts and sometimes it's actually just easier and better to just actually switch and usually the best deals are still reserved for those who switch but there are discounts available absolutely for gas and electricity. Yeah, And is that going to be part of the advice coming from government Fergus is look at your bill, look at your consumption of energy, see what you can do yourself. Absolutely and most homes have an ESP meter or a smart meter which and you can sign up and get a better deal or learn how you can use your electricity less at peak times. And I mean, everybody, everybody is worried. I don't know anybody that isn't worried about energy. And the government is, very, I just want to make this point, there, there is a big budget surplus now and I believe it has to be used to meet these issues. But listen, and, and listen to families. Evelyn there Pardon. speaking yeah. um, a little earlier. She yeah. said, she feels, and I think the Sunday Independent poll at the weekend backed this up, that there's yeah. a real disconnect between politicians in Leinster House and ordinary yeah. people, that they quite simply, because of the salaries that you're on, you quite yeah. simply couldn't understand what yeah, well, it's like to see your bill uh, go uh, from 2,000 yeah. to 4,000, well, uh, potentially 6,000, yeah. as Darren well, said. That is a fact, and I mean, uh, being a politician is very difficult, and being a government politician is not easy ever. But the point is, somebody has to do the job, and if you believe you can change things, and no matter what people say about politicians, this 
government has more people employed, 2.5 million now than ever before. We have a budget surplus of 6.9 billion. We're, we're one of the best. We have, after the pandemic, in the last 12 months, we created over 202,000 jobs in our economy. There are a lot of things working, but the budget now must work for the poor and the people who have issues around energy. And that's practically everybody. Uh, and Daniel, and that's, that's what we're about. Some speculation at the weekend about what that budget is going to include, these sort of specific measures to try and help people with these ghastly uh, energy bills, including the potential for a €400 euro credit. So all of us will have received the €200 euro credit earlier in this year. This will be a €400 euro credit. Yeah, they're kind of splitting what they're going to do in the budget into two areas. One is looking at individuals and households and now is looking at in interventions for businesses as well. On the individual's level, certainly the electricity credit. I was speaking to Eamon Ryan last week. He was making the case for that coming back again, for it being increased, even though there was some criticism about it not being a targeted measure. He said it was fast. It was something that could be easily gotten to to all households. I don't know if it was that fast in the end, but perhaps <laughs> now that they have it up and running, yes. it might be faster. Yes, exactly. And then targeted measures then around fuel allowance, um, around fam family working payment, around social welfare payments. These are kind of the avenues that they're hoping to deliver uh, to the people who need it most. But interestingly, before the summer, there wasn't all that many interventions being plotted for businesses. That all changed in the last few weeks because of the scale of the price increases that are being seen. And they are genuinely scrambling now to put together a scheme for for, for businesses. They're looking at some of the mechanisms that were used during COVID to maybe get grants uh, to businesses. The, the, the wage subsidy scheme is something that's being looked at again. They haven't figured it out yet, but they know businesses now need help as well, and especially small and medium-sized businesses. Uh, for, I'll come back to businesses in, in a minute, but for households, Claire, €400 Euro energy credit, is that enough? Uh, I really hope that the, the budget, and we know that a number of cost of living measures are going to be announced on budget day that we're told will kick in straight away. I hope a number of them will be targeted. I know the electricity credit. Do you think there should be any universal measures in there? I, I, th I think you need a mixture, uh, but, but really I think it needs to prioritise targeted measures at people who will need the most. We know that electricity credit, millions of euro that was part of it went to holiday homes. I don't think that should happen. That's what you get when you do a universal measure. Uh, I think we need real targeted measures. But you'll hear, look, I suppose, you'll hear ministers saying, look, it's just not that easy, you know, to introduce a measure like a credit and not apply it to a couple of hundred thousand no, holiday no, homes. It's, you know, it's, the, the yeah. technicality of that is actually more complex. Yes, but, but, more expensive. Exactly, but, but yeah. that was just one of the frustrations in relation to universal and that's what you get when you do universal. We need to see real targeted measures and we need to aim them at households that are really, really struggling. And, you know, we see an overemphasis every year, particularly around the fuel allowance. The fuel allowance is a good support for people who actually get it. There's a lot of older people. There's a lot of people on the working family payment. People who are out sick from work. They cannot access the fuel allowance. So when we look at the fuel allowance, this year, we need to be looking at widening eligibility and getting it into more households who will need support. A lot of households are relying on that additional needs payment, which Minister Humphreys has really been pushing. I learned last week, 95% of the applications going through that, and it is for urgent needs, are taking five to eight weeks. Now, if I have a bill and I can't pay it, and I look for that payment and it takes up to two months to, for a decision on it, that's not good enough. So we need to look at ways in which we can look at the supports that are there, we can resource them, we can make them accessible to as many people that need them, including workers I, as well. I just think VAT needs to be looked at as well. So VAT is now 9%. It's due to go back up to 13.5% in October. Um, I would hope it would be kept at 9% and maybe even reduced to 
gas, electricity are at absolutely record levels. I don't think this is the time the government should be levying um, a surcharge or VAT on what is not, let's be honest, a luxury good. We don't levy VAT on food. We don't levy VAT on children's clothes. We don't levy VAT on most children's medicines. And I think it should be the same for the foreseeable future. I think the answer is absolutely. I think the European finance ministers are meeting with Pascal Donnelly, who's chair, I think, on Friday. Mm -hmm. And they're looking at the whole market to to deregulate the gas market. And one of the problems is... And do you think the issue of that specifically should be looked like? As you say, Derek, it's not a luxury item for anybody. One one of the issues around home heating oil is that very issue that Europe wouldn't allow them to do Mm -hmm. that. So what we have to do and what Europe has to do, and they're very all the politicians know this and the administrators, is to find a formula that relieves this pressure on families. And and I get get that it is tough when you have EU rules, but I would hope that the EU would be a little bit more considerate given the the issues that consumers are facing. But but there's one point I want to make. I mean, there are families who will be who may be on 30,000, 40,000 euros a year. It sounds a lot of money, but they have, they have other costs. They have childcare costs. Uh, you know, their mortgages are going up. You know, they have to run their car. So it's not fair to exclude people uh, you know, from from a benefit on the energy subsidy. Oh, I, I actually totally agree. I think there will be people who get it who shouldn't get it. But I'm more concerned around the people who won't get it if it's targeted, because you can be absolutely certain yeah. that if we have targeted measures, there will be tens of thousands of households people, yeah. who need it and absolutely. who deserve it and won't, and get, won't it. get it. All yeah. right, look, we're going to have to leave it there. I'm sure we'll be discussing that in more detail uh, on The Tonight Show throughout the week. Our a programme is available, as always, as a podcast on all major platforms. And you can also now find us on Instagram tonight at VM TV. But from all the late team here, good night. Take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. 